0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our Avita podcast, where we're going to help educate military veterans and their spouses on opportunities in Web3. Our plan is to host a series of industry leaders, many of whom are veterans or spouses themselves, so we can learn about their journey down the crypto rabbit hole while understanding opportunities for transitioning veterans into space. My name is Chris Perkins. I'm a combat Marine veteran who spent 15 years on Wall Street before transitioning into crypto myself. And before we begin, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, who have dedicated their time and resources to make this podcast possible. Today, for episode 14, we'll be speaking with Army veteran Cameron Armstrong, founder of VF Protocol, which is building a zero-fee payments network on DeFi rails, starting with NFT private sales and escrow. Welcome, Cameron. Thanks for having me. One of the things I love the most is speaking to veteran founders. Uh, you guys are in the trenches every single day. And I think your insights are particularly insightful for, uh, for the veterans community. So uh, as we begin, Cameron, tell, tell us about your background. For sure. Um, so I'm not a, an
1: academy guy like a lot of the other people on the podcast. Uh, I actually went to the Virginia Military Institute. Um, and so I studied physics and applied math, uh, commissioned into the army as an infantry officer. So I uh, did not do math in the army. Um, Spent four years, deployed with my uh, platoon uh, to Kuwait and Afghanistan back in 2016-17. And then I ended up uh, at Army OCS as a platoon instructor in my last year in. Um, Decided to get out, uh, transitioned uh, to go grab my MBA in 2018. Um, Was fortunate that Harvard Business School worked out, so I went there. Um, So spent the two years kind of learning what the private sector was all about. Uh, Spent my uh, MBA summer internship at Amazon doing finance to kind of hypothesis test. Tech and finance. Uh, turns out, uh, I love both, but uh, hated big tech. So I wanted to be in that kind of like ecosystem, uh, but not necessarily in that role. Spent the second year uh, kind of doing a lot of soul searching around: um, is finance the path, or is like more tech startups, entrepreneurship the path? Um, I was actually leaning towards the high finance high finance path. I'm going into a bunch of uh, macro hedge fund like final round interviews um, that were going super well uh, up until March of 2020. Uh, and so uh, COVID hit and actually blew up my post business school plans, which was to go be like a hedge fund analyst. Um, and so I kind of had um, some soul searching moments uh, in at the start of the pandemic, like a lot of people did. I and mean, I actually ended up uh, coming on as a third co founder to an e commerce software startup um, connected with uh, another Army vet, a uh, West Pointer, a guy named Ben Faw. Um, While I was at uh, HBS, uh, did some work with them on the company, and it's like early, early days, my second year, uh, and then they wanted somebody uh, to come on to handle kind of like ops and and, and growth, uh, and it seemed like a really good opportunity, um, especially compared to the landscape of like, who knows when uh, the finance world is going to figure itself out. Um, So I came on uh, as as co-founder. Um, sprinted really hard for 14 months, uh, and then we were fortunate enough to, to sell that company back in July of 2021. Uh, and then a couple months into the integration, I realized that media e-commerce, which was the space that was in, wasn't where I wanted to be long term. Um, so
0: I made the jump into
1: crypto, and that's kind of like the the initial start of, of VF protocol. And so that's like the, the, the quick down and dirty.
0: I really appreciate that. So let's go back to your service uh and, and even your service in Afghanistan. Were there any formative moments that really shaped your your vision going forward?
1: Yeah, so I think the um the like instant of like oh, I know this is how I'm going to be or like like an acute event um is, is much less impactful than kind of the the continuous even starting back at like VMI of the like when when you're faced with a situation, it's just like a you get a like, figure it out response, right? Like at VMI, it's figured out rat in the army, it's figured out lieutenant and like, that kind of uh, compounding, hey, I know you don't know what's going on, like nobody who's ever been a lieutenant really knows what, what like they're doing when they start. And it's like really been the compounding of those moments of like, new situation, new information, you have your team figure out what to do. Like, those are the things that that have really kind of like, Shape how I act, acted post-military, I think.
0: Yeah, totally. I remember all the exercises we would do in the Marine Corps where it was like, hey, you're surrounded, everything's going against you. And the question always was, what now, Lieutenant? And uh, you'd have to kind of grit your teeth and figure it out. Awesome. Okay, so so you went, through the, tell us about your transition. You know, you, you came back from deployment. Um, what challenges did you face? You know, clearly you went into um, business school. Why did you make that decision?
1: Yeah. So I actually, uh, I thought I was going to go do math after the army. Um, Like I had studied applied math. uh, That was kind of like, like I think veterans, when they're going into the military, they give themselves like a, oh, if it doesn't work out, here's what I'm going to do. And like that, here's what I'm going to do for me was like, I'm going to go do operations research, go work at like Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab or one of these places that like I'd interned. Um, and when I went to go start that process, I realized that like, I was wrong. Like that wasn't how that works. Like I could go get out and go take an analyst, one job, like the, the kind of job that I would have gotten like right out of my undergrad. Um, but I wasn't going to get kind of like a, okay, let me like horizontal transition out, manage a team, whatever. And so for me, realizing that I, I just wasn't going to be able to do the thing that like the way that I wanted to do it, I was like, Okay. New plan. Let's figure out what to do next, uh, and then through a lot of like research and and kind of talking to people that went ahead of me, but like VMI doesn't have as strong of a like post military uh, like pipeline like a lot of the academies do. Um, I kind of figured out that vets went and grabbed their MBA, uh, and so for me, seeing other people like you know, like uh, you know you and other people in in like further along and like the finance industry like looking at their paths were also really helpful. And so the transition um, was a bit abrupt because I had submitted my refrat and then I had to figure out what to do. Um, But I had had some time to figure it out. And so did the MBA process kind of got through by the skin of my teeth, if I'm being completely honest, like the only places I got it, like I applied to a ton of places. I only got into HBS and Darden, both like phenomenal schools, super lucky to have both. Um, But everywhere else said no. And so like, that like was a little bit of a rocky start, um, but the actual transition itself, um, I actually wrote a, a pretty substantive like reflection on my two years at HBS on my blog Wiser W Y S R X Y Z. Um, uh, for anybody that's like thinking through like the pros and cons of that transition, um, they can check that out. But the but the long and short of it is like the decision wasn't made in one moment; it was made over a long period of time, and then the actual like actions of transitioning took a lot of like cycles of, Oh, this is very different than I was before how like figured out Lieutenant kind of like, okay, how do you like join this group? How do you blend in? How do you like stand out once you feel comfortable blending in? Like, how do you do well? Um, it was very much an iterative, iterative, iterative process, like a startup.
0: Any advice that you would give to someone who's going through that transition right now?
1: Talk to people. Um, the, the thing that I wanted to do, which was kind of like a, like, a bit of a reflexive habit from, you know, being an officer where like, oftentimes you are the only officer in the situation and you're not like, you have to, you have to hold in a lot of these uh, kind of like thoughts and opinions and struggles that you're going through. Like that's the military in general. But like, once I started reaching out and connecting with like my fellow vets that were going through the transition as well, and like, you know, something would go on in class and it would just be like, super foreign, right? Like somebody's recounting in a life experience that was like completely different than mine. Where like, at the beginning of my time at at school, I like would leave and be like, man, like, this is not my place. I'm not like, like these people. But as I like started connecting with with, uh, fellow vets, I would have a conversation with them post-class and we'd be like, man, that was freaking crazy. Right. And they'd be like, yeah, absolutely. That's nuts. Like that. And so you, you find those commonalities with people that have that have that shared experience and that really helps it a lot. Um, and it helps, helps you get out of your head too. Cause it's easy to be like, Oh, it's only going
0: bad when you don't realize that like, no, it's actually going okay. You're just like caught up in yourself. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all about networking and community, isn't it? And there's so many people that have made the transition successfully uh, and there are plenty of lessons to be learned, for sure. All right, so you finish B school, you are thinking about going into to traditional finance, and um, you end up at, at a startup. And now you are an exited founder, which is pretty amazing in such a short period of time. Can you tell us about your experience as a founder? Uh, what did you learn? Um, you know, and and what lessons can can other folks learn from from your experience? I mean, I think the the first and foremost of that um, a lot of vets.
1: Like that I learned that a lot of vets, I think feel the same way as like you self-select like a lot, like there, there are veterans today who are like perfectly capable. They're telling themselves they're non-technical. They're telling themselves that they like don't understand this business thing. But like at the end of the day, like if you, if you've identified like a need that some set of users have, if you understand that and have the empathy and then also the ability to coordinate people and resources to do a thing, like cool, you've just described like being a military officer, but you've also just described like what entrepreneurship basically is at its core. Like you hear kind of these famous stories of like brilliant technologist founders, you know, like Google, Google founders, Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, but like most startups didn't invent like a brand new technology. And like what they've really done is they've identified something different that has happened in the world of technology that can now be used to solve an existing problem. And so like like the biggest thing that I learned was just like having like the 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 self assurance to be like okay yeah you're going to come into like a million different problems that you've never solved before and like yeah they might have a more technical bend you might need to like read some technical documentation or dive in or learn something that you weren't comfortable with before but you're still going to figure it out it's the same like a grit mentality that you had in the military that's going to make you successful in that
0: awesome can you tell us about your journey down the crypto rabbit hole? When did you first start getting into it, and then how did you build your your knowledge base?
1: Yeah, so um, I was raised on the internet. Like I grew up in the mid two thousands, uh, kind of chaos internet that like crypto really feels like um, for anyone that was like hanging out on on the MySpaces of the world. It, it'll it it will feel pretty similar. And so like my first uh, crypto exposure was actually mining uh, Bitcoin on my local machine um, and Dogecoin too later back in like the 2010, 2011 era. And so like, that was like my my no joke first contact with it. Um, I did it mostly because I thought it was like funny and weird. Like I didn't connect any of these big ideas in crypto um, around decentralization or kind of composability to like what this thing was. Um, and then I went into the military, you know, did that stuff for the next 10 years. Uh, and so my, my real kind of like second awakening of crypto um, was over the course of 2021. And so I've been exposed a little bit uh, to it a little bit in business school. Um, but, you know, MBA types aren't super hot on crypto uh, in general right now, uh, but but also just in general. Um, and so 2021 was like when I started paying a lot more attention to it. I um, mean, really kind of like the thought and, and kind of like the, the philosophical history around it. Like that's not really what won me over, the technology won me over, but that was like, like what got me paying attention. And so as I was doing this media e-commerce thing, as I was getting, like, more comfortable in kind of, like, technology as a whole, realizing that, like, you know, I mean, a lot of vets work on their cars and, like, are very tactile and, and like, and they, they disassemble weapons. They figure out, like, how things work. And technology actually works, like, very similarly um, in terms of, like, you understand how this language, like, works and fits together. Then you use that language to, like, do things, like, write programs. And so, like, I was coming into this kind of understanding of, like, how to build things um and then as i learned more about how to build things the way people were building things in crypto felt like a lot more appealing so it was like this confluence of like my my kind of like life path shape shaping me down like one way of thinking crypto maturing as an ecosystem and obviously a bunch of people making a ton of money always gets like people to pay attention um and all of that like came together to be like oh there might be something here now that i am fortunate enough to like have some breathing space in my career like I I should give it some serious thought because like the there's a recurring kind of lament in tech of like people who are frustrated that they felt like they missed the internet right because now the internet's a lot more mature or they missed uh, mobile or social media and so now there there's kind of like this prevailing um at least in the space like people think crypto is going to be the next social media or the next like internet and like that means there's a ton of opportunity for people that like take the risk of building something.
0: It's like, those are like why it became appealing. Understood. So, so as part of that educational process, it sounds like you were reading white papers. Uh, how, how else did you get up to speed specifically on educating yourself?
1: Yeah. So um, mostly trial and error. Um, the scaffolding for, for learning and self-education is like super disparate, super all over the place. Uh, there's a lot of, noise uh, in the signal Um, but like when I started paying attention uh, to it there were a lot more white papers Um, now a ton of projects like that uh, come out like might not necessarily have them especially in the NFT space um, because there wouldn't be much to write about but the like uh, the the long and short it is like the organizations that have been around the the longest uh, mostly started out with this white paper which goes all the way back to the Bitcoin white paper kind of like saying hey if you're going to write like if you're going to do a new technology, you should like write out kind of an abstract form of it first. Um, so definitely reading the white papers of all like the top market cap uh, protocols out there. Um, the Ethereum Foundation has a really good onboarding. Um, so like I think it's ethereum.org has like a really good zero to like I can buy something with crypto um, pipeline. Andreessen Horowitz has as kind of like the, the crypto canon of like, you know, all the resources over the past 10 years. You can find a couple other VC funds that have some pretty thoughtful um, writing uh, about, like, how to think about crypto stuff. Um, But ultimately, it, like, comes down to finding people whose ideas that you, like, respect, whether on Twitter um, or now Farcaster, which is, like, another, like, crypto-native social network that's coming out. uh, And just, like, listening to people that are, frankly, smarter than
0: me. Got it. And you can... uh... Check out the blog at coinfund.io as well. Uh, Yeah, of course. I I, I, I definitely have read that more than a few times. No worries. Uh, So Cameron, tell us about your current project, VF Protocol. You mentioned earlier, I'm
1: building a zero fee payments network on decentralized rails. Um, And so what that really means is I want to take anywhere where there's an existing transaction, whether it's like a debit, credit, APA, or whatever mechanism value is getting transferred today, and I want to substitute in something that feels the same but is actually this escrow-like primitive and then i want to generate some yield some revenue on those assets in transit uh, much like you would buy like treasury bonds or create a certificate of deposit ladder in like your personal account i want to do that with funds in transit to give people the option of not paying a transaction fee which is how like all payments is set up today um and so if you look at the, the visas of the world they let you run a credit card. They have point like things at point of sale systems that let you pay for things with the, like on credit. Um, they're kind of charging like a tax on the economy with these transaction fees, um, and that piece of it was kind of like core to how payments had to work in the past. But now, in kind of like decentralized finance, we don't necessarily have to be like charging a transaction fee in order to make money. And so, I want to kind of like turn
0: that model on its head uh, for people that that's useful for. Awesome. So uh, what are some of the challenges that you're facing right now as you're building out as a founder? Yeah. So
1: um, as like a a founder in general, I'm building in a market that like a lot of people just made a ton of money on and is now like a lot frothier and a lot, frankly, less exciting than it was six months ago. And so my initial use cases in this, uh, like, like with this technology are in the crypto space. And so it's actually a real challenge to get like people to be using um software in like a very new space like there's a ton of um, like structural things that make it hard to get people to try new things not the least of which meaning being that like you have to pay uh gas in addition to whatever like additional fees that protocols like use uh, and so like having to pay more money for these things where in web 2 you would just like click a button or like you know a traditional internet you'd have to click a button those are all problems that like every founder in the space is kind of facing right now um so like that's probably like the the big one but like uh, other things that i'm running into as a founder are like the noise in this space is really drowning out the signal um and so like i kind of frame it as you know i started like started full time in september of last year and i basically spent the next 4 months learning as much as i could about the space and i kind of came to the conclusion that like 98% of the space is garbage, but like 2% of the space is no joke, world changing technologies. And that like 2% um, is kind of co-opted by a lot of people that like, didn't read white papers, haven't really paid attention uh, uh, to like, what is different? Like, what is the, like, like the distributed ledger technology better for versus a centralized database um, and maybe don't care because like they can, you know, launch a couple projects, get a lot of money really quickly and then move on. And so like, though, that's like another big structural thing that, you know, through podcasts like this, hopefully we can change some, change some minds.
0: Yeah, when I think of that 2% you're talking about, it really comes down to utility. Uh, and it sounds like you're trying to deliver real utility uh, through VF protocol. What can you tell us about the ecosystem that you're developing in? Is it, um, is it Ethereum based? Is it EVM based? What do you use for your for your layer one or layer two, can, can you walk us through your ecosystem?
1: For sure. Um, so like my, my kind of stack is I'm starting with Ethereum um, because I think the initial use case for VF protocol is really in um, buying and selling NFTs, of which uh, in the utility conversation, I think are primarily just collectors items, um, which is like not a market to sniff at or like to, to, to joke about, like there's billions of dollars transacted in memorabilia like every year, but it's, it's not the same thing as like technology being part of like core infrastructure to do something else. I, mean, I think there's some interesting projects in the space that do that. NFTs are in the very, very early days of figuring out what that means. But if you look at like what a, a decentralized payments network like really need, needs to be at scale in the economy, you kind of need an additional hardware layer across the world, like the point of sale systems uh, to usefully feed in information back, back into smart contracts. And since you need that hardware layer, that that takes a long time. So I'm like, what's the easiest version of these? Well, fully on-chain transactions. So that's NFTs. And so with NFTs, where is kind of like the biggest pain pain point around like specifically transaction fees and and moving them around? It's the Ethereum ecosystem right now. And so like while VIA Protocol thinks of itself first like as a payments company that is using like crypto technology to facilitate that mission, you know, maybe the technology isn't in crypto in, in a few years, I doubt it, but it, like maybe, um, but within that too, we're starting with Ethereum because that's where the high value NFT like transaction volume and activity is. Um, and then if that kind of like migrates to a different chain, we do that,
0: then eventually
1: we will probably need to scale up with a layer two or some other mechanism to, to kind of aggregate and then commit transactions.
0: I understand. So can, can we just walk through the way a transaction would work? So if if I wanted to buy an NFT using VF protocol, what would I have to do?
1: Yeah. So the, the key here is to think uh, more Venmo than Amazon. So like, like one of the big differences here is that you have to like know the counterparty first. And so you don't need to actually know them. You just need to know their, their, the wallet who you're transacting with. So the way the transaction works is like, you're trying to buy an NFT from me. So I'm the seller in this scenario. I set up a transaction i set the asset to sell we've agreed on it um if i had a board ape i sell it Uh, and then um i set the price that i'm going to sell it to you which we've negotiated on telegram or something and then i set the uh whitelisted buyer which would be your wallet and so in that case you know three items are set click uh submit now the the handshake that i'm calling them are instantiated so this handshake is basically open for a period of time for you to accept. Uh, you would connect to via protocol.com right now, but eventually um, other form factors will work as well. And you just would have uh, kind of like a card that shows Board A Yacht Club NFT, the price and who's selling it to you. And you should know that it's, it's me because we've talked about it and you just accept or reject. And then uh, in that process, that would be like um, like, that would be all of your work being completed on that side. So you hitting accept would send the funds, let's call it 100 ETH, to the uh, escrow controller contract. And then for a period of time, you as the buyer have access to that NFT. But me as the seller can't get those funds until like the three-day diligence period that we'd also agreed upon uh, goes through. Uh, And then from there, if you figure out that the NFT is stolen at any point during that process or it's not what you wanted, you can send it back uh, and then withdraw your funds as well. Uh, and then me as a seller, I could get my NFT back too. So it's kind of like this this like neutral ground to put, uh, you know, assets when there's asymmetric trust between parties. And so that's kind of like the the most basic version of via protocol with escrow today.
0: Got it. Sounds super super interesting. So I know there are plenty of veterans and spouses out there who are thinking about becoming founders and entrepreneurs themselves. Can Can you walk through your day to day?
1: Yeah, um, so I, I split my days between two kind of buckets. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit different than some other uh, VET founders because like I am uh, also the technical lead on my project. Um, if you, you are not doing that, you would not spend as much time on the development side, but my two buckets are um, distribution and development right now. And so distribution are all the activities that you need to do uh, so that other people know your product exists. It's stuff like doing uh, podcasts. Uh, It's stuff like uh, meeting with other people in the space, trying to like generate partnerships. Um, It's kind of fundraising as well or laying the groundwork for future fundraising. And so like I'll usually get up uh, around seven, um, you know, ride a a bike for 30 minutes, uh, doing kind of like the the early prep work for the day, um, make breakfast, uh, do about an hour or two of like writing um hit the gym, and then the rest of the day is focused on either distribution or development piece. Um, the development side is like get, gets pretty technical, but it's like shipping code to make my product or ancillary like like ancillary components to it uh, better or like extensions to it better. I mean, I'll usually do that from like, 11 to six ish on my my normal days. And then I have two two ish late nights a week where I'll like go to like 10 or 11. Um, And then that's like my my repeat.
0: Awesome. Uh, So looking forward, what excites you about Web3? Within a landscape or like a sandbox of like,
1: not having regulators try to, um, like, regulators being willing to let people experiment within the bounds of like, like reasonableness. I'm really excited about the idea of not needing to like not needing to coordinate with a ton of different parties when I, when I want to integrate something. Um, So for example, right now there's a, there's a phenomenal like bank API solution called Plaid where like you can integrate Plaid into your applications and effectively have access to, to people's kind of like, Debit and accounts in their banks, and for like developers, this was huge. Like just like Stripe, like revolutionized the the checkout process. It like if you were a developer and you wanted to connect to normal people's bank accounts, like you had to figure out how to like talk to the bank and make that integration. And like Plaid did all of that work for us over the past like seven eight years, um, which is great. But like if you dive into the history of Plaid. The way that they they basically did it was like sometimes asking permission sometimes not getting people to log into their bank accounts and then running screen scrapers to effectively get the data with with like let like the customers giving their data without the bank like really giving permission it's just like super messy super painful and like in in kind of like software terms it's super brittle too like by brittle i mean it breaks very easily if like the page layout changes and so like as someone who like now has to deal with these like super brittle, uh, ways of integrating different applications, having a shared database that anybody can look at at any time without needing permission from anybody, which is like this distributed ledger technology that, you know, the Ethereum virtual machine, like you are limited only by your creativity in understanding, analyzing, and like processing the data that's out there. And so like, like, as, as a selfish individual that, like, doesn't want to have to coordinate with 100 people if I want to do something, that's awesome. But also as someone who cares about innovation, especially in, um, like, a geopolitical sense, like, permissionless innovation makes the cycle time or, like, the iteration loop of people trying new ideas and building things just so much shorter, which means, like, we felt like the world has sped up like crazy over the past 10 years, especially, like, with COVID and stuff, but I don't think it compares to like anything like the next 10 years are going to be because if we have all of this like data all of this technology that you just like plug into and you don't need to like ask and coordinate like you're going to basically enable an entire new generation of entrepreneurs like probably most of which who would have not been able to be entrepreneurs uh in the past
0: Uh, that's that's super exciting so you gave us some advice for transitioning vets uh earlier what advice would you give for folks who are thinking about becoming entrepreneurs or or working in web3
1: Separate advice, I think, because um, I think Web3 is it's uh, like all of the things in Web2 still apply to Web3, like thinking entrepreneurship wise, like getting stuff done, being really close to your users, like shipping and iterating on products. Like, all that still applies, but there's some like unique Web3 stuff that I'll hit on in a second. But like the first step to deciding whether you want to be an entrepreneur is like no joke, just talking to entrepreneurs. Um, I benefited from two years of like business school, where like HBS would bring in entrepreneurs that I could meet and ask questions to, like some veteran, mo- like a few veterans, but like mostly not. And like, what that really did for me was like I met these people. They're very like sharp and intelligent, but I'm like, oh, they're not like superhuman. Like they're just people. Uh, and so like talking to entrepreneurs uh, is is like the first step to realizing that like. It's not like an entrepreneur and you. It's like a oh, this is like a thing that you can do if you if you like try and work hard and, and like just put in the put in the hours. Um, and so like that's first step. Um, and then as you like get deeper into it, um, don't just talk to people. Ask them what they recommend you like read and look into and study um, because somebody that's like three five years ahead of you on the entrepreneurship journey is probably gonna hit like the main pieces of content that have shaped most people's thinking about it. Like not that you have to follow everything that you read, but it's important to like know what the like like there's I don't know if they have this in in the the other branches, but like in the army, like we used to call a doctrine a point from which to deviate. And like, but you need that central doctrine to know what kind of like in like whatever the context in is, this is basically what right looks like. And so like the corpus of startup knowledge and entrepreneurship knowledge is really like the doctrinal understanding of like how to build a company and then you adapt it to fit your circumstances. So that's like entrepreneurship, like learn the doctrine so that you can like make, make the calls when you're in the, when the fight in the fight yourself in web three, you, you probably want to spend some time getting a little technical. Like you don't need to be able to, to read, you know, solidity, like a master, which is like the, the language, a lot of Ethereum smart contracts are coded in. Um, but you do want to understand generally how technology works and like how the internet works um, because web three is like following that cycle and the things that are painful about web three or like, are, are sticking points are all like kind of going through the arc of internet history. Um, and if anyone's like, like interested in that, there, there's a couple like super technical veterans in this space, like Spencer McDonald, you should definitely have on here. If you haven't already um, he runs a, a spear bit, which is like, you know, so, solidity audit uh, kind of DAO, um, But there's uh, a bunch of other people in the space that are super technical. Um, I consider myself kind of in that bucket. If you wanna have technical resources, I'll send them your way, just just reach out.
0: Yeah, that's great. And what I'm thinking we should do is probably uh, set up an entrepreneurs forum in, uh, yeah. in the discord that we have at Vita, just for entrepreneurs to speak to each other and founders to learn best practices. It's kinda, I think it makes a ton of sense. It's a, it's a great suggestion uh, and definitely would love to connect with Spencer. Uh, Okay, are you hiring Cameron at, at this point in your growth or or and if you are, you know, how do you how should people apply?
1: Mostly hiring technical folks. Like anybody that is curious about work in the space, I'm I'm happy to to talk to. Um Cameron at viaprotocol.com is an easy way to reach me. Uh, but mostly looking for like a VP of engineering type. So I don't have to spend all my day, like half my days in code. Um, but if there are people uh that are like trying to understand like the landscape in the space, like just send them my way too. I'm, I'm happy to, to, to send them there because it's like there there's a lot of different products in the space that are trying to help funnel this, like, you know, people that want to be in the space and want to not be um, or like want want jobs, uh, but none of them have done it super well. And so person to person is still the best way um, for non-technical folks. There's a platform Twali, T-W-A-L-I, um, which I haven't hired through yet, but I'm considering it for when I'm doing um more admin ops uh, type hires um, and so that that's an, uh, a resource to check out and they have a weekly or yeah they have a weekly newsletter which I think would be useful for
0: folks uh, those are great suggestions and you said the best way to connect with you is is via email uh, email's good, and then I'm uh, at uh, frozen fire four two on
1: Twitter uh, kept my uh, uh, AOL instant messenger handle into adulthood and yeah
0: <laughs> there you go awesome a- anything else that you wanted to share with the audience today?
1: Um, I think the 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 last thing that I want people to to kind of like understand is that all of the things that made you effective in your job in the military, like apply in the civilian world. You just gotta learn like the jargon and the um you know the the expert infantry um and badge tasks of whatever industry that you're in, and you'll you'll crush it. Like the the scariest part about the transition is the unknown unknowns, um, but they quickly become known if you just like put in the work.
0: Awesome. Cameron, really, really enjoyed the conversation today. Incredible insights. And again, I also wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, uh, for doing what you do and, and we're deeply appreciative of your support. For those interested in learning more about Vita, please connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Please pick me on Twitter at PerkinsCR97. Thank you so much, everyone. See you next time.